to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, crisis management, and of course, COVID-19. If there are any topics you want us to talk about on the show uh, related to anything I've already mentioned, please feel free. Go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button underneath that says send, me, uh, send the host an email. I do get all emails, and I do respond to everything I get. If there's a product or service you'd like to talk about on the show or promote, uh, again, you can reach me the same way, and we'll get some information to you. A reminder, I will be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, CRT, uh, October 7th and 8th, which is now, uh, like most conferences, virtual. Um, I will be presenting there. And uh, just recently, we are going to be doing a live channel. Since everything will be online, I'm going to be hosting a live channel. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how we pull all that together and what we're going to do there. Also, reminder for BCI World, November 5th and 6th, I am presenting with them. And as with uh, I'm CRT, they are also a virtual conference. Sadly, we won't have a live broadcast from uh, DRJ Phoenix this year. Um, one big reason is, uh, the U S and Canada border is closed. So I couldn't go there if I wanted to, um, today's topic, uh, or today's guest, first of all, you may recognize, uh, she has been on the show before we talked about, um, some of her work and she's had a couple of guest appearances during our live broadcast in uh, the aforementioned DRJ conference in Phoenix. And today we're going to be talking about some new information that uh, she's pulled together and uh, she's going to present for us. I'd like to welcome back to the show, Cheyenne Marling. Cheyenne, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Well, I, actually, just to clarify, you reached out to me. See, that, just like I said at the beginning, <laughs> if there's something you want to talk about. <laughs> and Cheyenne did true, that. True, true, yes. And I knew it would be a great subject because I was watching what was happening with uh, you know the report you were putting together, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I know mm -hmm. I mentioned that uh, you've been on the show before and you've had some kind of quick guest appearances, um, but just in case anybody around the globe, because we do have global listeners, isn't quite aware of who Cheyenne Marling is, could you give us a quick minute uh, bio um, of who you are and what you do? Sure, of course. Um, I have been involved in business continuity, crisis management, resiliency in this profession for over 20 years. I fell into the profession as an executive recruiter uh, right around Y2K. So I started placing all these um, business continuity, managing consultants, senior consultants, planners, and I was just enthralled with the industry. Um, as a result, I decided to focus within this profession from a recruitment standpoint and started BC Management back in March of 2000, so over 20 years. And, um, but we do much more than just recruiting within the industry on a worldwide basis. We also provide data research. And so that research started with looking at compensations, what should companies pay, you know, business continuity professional in New York with a certification. And the compensation study quickly evolved into looking at the program analytics, the, the reporting structures for the program, program sponsors, how events impact organizations. Um, budgeting dedicated to the program, staffing dedicated to the program. So as a result, we've been collecting data now for, oh gosh, over 18 years, 19 years will be, this is our, this next year, 2021 will be our 19th annual edition of the compensation study. And wow. uh, it's been a, it's been a fun adventure. <laughs> I'm sure it has. And, you know, in your position, you probably have seen all kinds of things happen 
you know, um, well, now you've got COVID-19, but we've had, you know, H1N1 and all different kinds of disasters. And you've seen uh, peaks and valleys, I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, happening in this industry. You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, going through Y2K and then 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, active shooters, now COVID-19, um, and even during the financial crisis, right? Um, every little event has impacted our profession in such a unique way that you can't say that one event is similar to the other one. It's just, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to look back because now COVID has certainly impacted the financial outcome and the unknown, right? But yeah. at this moment, mm-hmm. business continuity professionals and crisis management professionals are in high demand. We're back in during the recession. Um, you know, it was a very sad situation and a lot of people were losing their jobs. Yeah, it becomes one of the first areas that they kind of, um, maybe it's a harsh word, but they target, you know, to yeah, downsize yeah. costs. And this case, it's not the same, where certainly, and I don't want to downplay it, individuals are still getting furloughed and people are still getting impacted. But generally speaking, the business continuity crisis management professionals are in high demand because of COVID-19 and because companies are finding that their plans we're not up to par, and now they're also falling behind in their BCDR planning recurring activities, too. So even though there are some industries getting impacted more than others, generally speaking, um, business continuity crisis management professionals are, are definitely in, in more demand. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing quite a few um, uh, job postings that are coming out there. Um, one of the questions I actually had for you, because you see so much data, and what I've seen on you know LinkedIn and indeed Workopolis, Monster, and so many other different sites, are are you seeing or that maybe the skills are changing for what uh, organiza- organizations are expecting of BC planners? And the, and the reason I ask is because I saw a really strange posting a little while ago for a senior financial analyst you know, doing reports for the C-suite um, and also in charge of business continuity management. And I kind of went, wow, that financial aspect is literally 24-7. How on earth are you ever going to get BCM in there? Are you seeing things you like know, that? You know, I was just going to say, so it's interesting. It depends on the organization because different companies will have different disciplines included within their enterprise program, business continuity. So, and And you're right, to that point, if it's, if it's a smaller organization, they'll, they'll generally couple business continuity with another type of responsibility, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's still being checked off, but it's, it's a part of another bigger role, and, and it's not 100% dedicated to business continuity because perhaps it's a smaller organization and they, they feel that they don't need someone 100% dedicated to it. But what I have noticed is that, and what I have been noticing actually in the last five to eight years, is that crisis management components has been growing, and in many cases with a large organization, they'll have someone dedicated 100% just to crisis management who's working closely with the BCM team or the resiliency team. Um, and what I've also noticed, because you, you probably know I track the job advertisements out there, mm-hmm. so I can kind of feel, you know, where, where things are going from, a, from an employment trend standpoint. And before COVID hit, we were averaging about, um, you know, 22 you know, 25 new job postings per week that were 100, that were focused in resiliency, crisis management, business continuity. And now we're averaging between um, anywhere between 32 to 38 new job postings. In fact, six weeks, there were, for six weeks, there were over, um, well, six individual weeks um, hit over 50 jobs. And the third week in June, there were 75 new job postings. Within, within business continuity crisis management. And I also noticed that, generally speaking, I also um, take note of the level of the job opportunity, if it's senior management, mid-management, or lower level. And I've noticed there's been a spike on average for senior leadership positions, too. And that tells me that companies really found that their programs were lacking um, the, the oomph that it needed to, you know, weather through the storm of COVID. So now they're looking for a senior, more strategic individual to guide them. In, in the next phase. Well, well I guess COVID-19 has certainly proven um, that you need business continuity. It can't be a, a part-time role or, you know, put to the back burner any, any longer. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. You know, are, are you finding yourself um, challenged looking for people because many are 
um, I, I guess already, you know, hopefully, you know, employed and looking after situations with their own organizations. So are you finding that there's um, a challenge trying to find people or, you know, how, how, how are you seeing that play out? So it's, it's, that's a great question. And um, even though I'm seeing more job advertisements, companies are hesitant to allow a third party to work on the job. So even though I'm seeing more activity, we're staying consistently busy, but I would think we'd be busier by now given the amount of uh, job postings that are out there. And when I check in and I reach out to these companies who have the job postings, in many cases they can't engage a third party because their company is really looking at the bottom line. So there's a lot of uncertainty on where the you know, the direction of the financial markets and where things are headed. The companies are being very cautious and they're trying to staff all their positions internally versus giving it to a third-party recruiter. Um, now, with that being said, we are getting probably more activity on the contract temporary need placements because companies, um, that those placements don't tend to run through HR. They tend to go through procurement and through the hiring manager directly. So we are seeing more activity from a contract standpoint and temporary staffing. And um, I should also tell you that even though a lot of the job postings have been posted, when also when I reach out to them, there are many companies who admittedly tell me, yes, I know that job posting is out there. We, are, we do have approval to hire, but there's a hiring freeze across the entire organization. So their hands are tied. And so they're telling you probably about third, at the end of third quarter into fourth quarter. So there's a little bit of a, a lull uh, at the moment, even though the activity is there. Well, we're also talking, you know, right now, you and I are talking, you know, beginning of August. So I guess July and August also plays into that, I would assume. Yeah, and it's also the summer months. The summer months tend to be um, a little bit slower for us. Over the last yeah. 20 years, we've always seen the dip in the summertime. Um, and I'm noticing that a lot of people are trying to squeeze in their vacations before the hurricane season. So I'm getting a lot of out-of-office phone stacks um, when I reach out to individuals. Um, typically, our busy time of the year is the very end of August up until um, up until just re- right before the holidays. Well, let's say some of these uh, organizations that you've been talking to, um, even with a hiring freeze, let's say they do uh, are able to hire. They get approval. You know, despite our hiring freeze, we still need someone for BCM. Considering COVID-19 and the way everyone's working from home and, you know, offices are closed, how do we go about hiring? You know, is everything or interviewing, actually, I should say, how do you go about doing that now? You know, you can't show up in the office in a nice suit, uh, you know, or or anything, you know, Uh, how do you how do you do that? So it's interesting. um, All of our clients that we've been working with right now, um, they, when they have a high need, they're able to fill the position quicker than ever because everything's virtual. So we call it VTCs, virtual telephone calls. So one of my clients in particular, he had an individual take another opportunity, and he absolutely needed another second hand to, to you know, respond to COVID and to keep up with the activities of business content planning. We were able to fill that job within, it was less than a month of, of getting the position, but during that time, within two months, two days of sending in the resume, we had three virtual telephone conference calls scheduled. And then after two days of those, another three scheduled and then an in-person interview at a park. So the one good thing about virtual telephone calls is that the person isn't taking the time out of their day to drive to to an office and have perhaps three to four back-to-back in-person interviews because they try to get it out all in one day so the person doesn't look mm-hmm. suspicious and leaving the office three or four times in a week. So the virtual <laughs> telephone calls have been very beneficial. It's given the company an opportunity to move quicker in many cases. The downfall is that what I've noticed from an HR standpoint, even if they have an offer accepted, the, the, the um, time to onboard the person has been pushed out sometimes even six weeks to eight weeks because they are the, the security clearances, everything is backed up, but that it takes them longer to onboard. But the virtual telephone interviewing process has sped up tremendously. Interesting, because that was going to be my next question about if, if there's been a change in onboarding. And, and I guess mm-hmm. it is because, try, you know, if you try to do a background check, uh, offices are 
you know, the, maybe even the people you're trying to deal with are working from home and it takes them longer to do things. But that, that's, that's, that's an interesting change, you know, that, that something good has come out of this uh, by using uh, VTC. Yeah, and I'm hoping that companies will, will um, you know, embrace that moving forward and perhaps do VTCs until you get to the final meeting, right? Because for me as a recruiter, it's easier to ask your candidate to to take one day off of work or a half a day or two hours versus, you know, two days off of work. Um, it, it's just harder to make that commitment in not knowing if they're going to get the job or not. And so VTCs have definitely shaped the the interviewing process from from with us and it's been it's been fantastic well I'm, I'm sure it makes a difference to uh during the actual hiring process or the actual interview because if someone is able to uh do a leverage a vtc i'm more comfortable seeing at home and they're going to see and hear the real me rather than the, the nervous person you know, sitting at the table, maybe with some sweat on my forehead, not knowing how should I act. <laughs> yeah, and I think with um, all of the practice that everyone's had in FaceTiming, even your family and everything else with a camera, I think everyone is so much more comfortable with being in front of your computer with a camera, having that dialogue, knowing where to look, knowing the lighting, making sure you cut off all the noises, dress professionally up and down so you're not having to quick get up and shut a window and have sweatpants on. Um, I think everyone's kind of in a in in, in a comfort zone with with the cameras mm-hmm. and being in front of the uh, computer versus um, you know where they were before. Because before, when I have to prep someone for a VTC, they sometimes they didn't have a camera. Sometimes they they just didn't even know what to do. So it's definitely shaped the the recruiting process quite a bit. Oh, that's good. It'll be interesting. I know I've had a lot more conversations, obviously through the various platforms, you know, and see who I'm speaking to. And I'm much more comfortable, you know, talking that way, even with complete strangers, you know, um, maybe it's because of my surroundings or so. I, I, you know, I don't know, but it's certainly an interesting change in the industry. Yeah. In fact, today, before I get ready for this call, I thought, oh my gosh, is it going to be a video? I think it's a call. I wasn't <laughs> sure because everything's gone to video now. And I've worked for my house since 2009, but now everyone is a to video, right? And I love it because now I see people more versus just always being on the phone. <laughs> well, I, I know I could turn the video on, but uh, I don't know if I really want to. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to scare you. <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> and on that note, we've actually come to the end of our first segment. Today, we're talking with Cheyenne Marling from BC Management, and we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Cheyenne Marling from BC Management. Cheyenne, great first segment. Lots of fun there. Um, now, you put, you mentioned in your... Uh, uh, when you talked about yourself, the uh, I, I guess it is an annual assessment, um, the report that you do. It's annual, correct? Yeah, we have a yeah we have quite a few annual reports that we do, um, yeah. and now we're kind of cutting back to doing quarterly. But those quarterly reports will still be done on an annual basis. The compensation, the business continuity yeah. trending study, prices, event impact management, and then we're going to leave one quarter open for kind of a fresh report. So yeah. that's going to be second quarter of each year. And this year just it happened to coincide with COVID and we thought it would be of interest to collect data um, specifically on the event to to um, to be that highlighted report for that quarter. 
And that, that brings me to the report that you published in June, um, the mm-hmm. assessment report. What's your role during the COVID-19 response? Can you tell us how that report came about and who participated? Sure, of course. So we wanted to know, the business continuity profession, if their roles in their response, if their involvement was about what they expected it to be, um, it wasn't really focused on lessons learned or, or the response, but how prepared they felt before the response, who was really managing the activation of the, um, of the response to COVID, um, who, if they were, how were they doing with their, you know, with their reoccurring BCDR planning activities, as well as um, after-action reports as well. And as far as a response, generally speaking, most of the individuals who responded to the study, even though it was globally distributed, tended to be more U.S.-centric. Um, I would say probably the next one would be U.K. and then Canada as far as a response. And most of the respondents did come from from larger organizations. There was a heavy focus from the financial industry, as we typically tend to see within our studies, but it did it did go through uh, quite a few different industries from financial to government, healthcare, manufacturing, insurance, retail. So quite a big response overall. And what were some of the uh, surprising, you know, at a high level, we'll dig into some of them, but uh, what were some of the high level, um, well, let, let's ask it this way. Were there any surprises for you from the responses? Yes, there there were. So I really thought that um, business country professionals, generally speaking, would that, that their response to the effort, the the COVID, would be about what they. I thought they would have more involvement. And granted, they were involved. But when you dig into the open text responses, not just how they answered a question, but how they had the open text to some of the follow up questions, we really found that. The individuals who were really heavily involved in the response efforts were either very high up in crisis management, maybe not per se business continuity. It differs between different organizations if they have someone dedicated just to crisis management. But what we did find is that in many cases, um, someone who had up who was a head of human resources or a chief of human resources was really managing the COVID response more than the person who was a business continuity professional. And, and I didn't expect to see that, but it makes sense because human resources, it's a, it's a human disaster. So yeah. they were inevitably very involved, especially when you consider, you know, work from home and so forth. So that I did not expect at all. Um, and I was hopeful to see some of the information be a bit different. I'm sure we're going to get to it as well, but... There were some other things that I was, I was hopeful to see more of, but I wasn't surprised to see that, you know, pandemic plans weren't as what they expected them to be and, and so forth as well. Well, yeah, I noticed that, um, that you know, what was it, um, uh, a high percentage, uh, and I forgot the number now, um, said that they had a pandemic plan and they ranked it eight or above, yet when this whole thing really started to take off here in Canada and the U.S., there were so many people saying that um, they weren't ready. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at the report in front of me. I was trying to get prepared for the call, of course. And 77% indicated that they had pandemic plans in place. But then when you look at the open text responses, there were quite a few, sadly, that said, yes, but they were so out of date. The management didn't even know they existed until they were shown the pandemic plans. Um, we did notice that the more mature programs were more likely to have pandemic plans in place versus the less mature programs. So in the beginning of the study, the participant could rate, self-rate the level of the maturity of their program. So we did see that those programs that were more mature have, have been, able, been able to better respond to COVID. They had the pandemic plans in place. They tested to them. Um, and then we also noticed that um, another uh, uh, qualification question in the beginning was, is your program more focused in business or is it equally focused in business and IT or is it really more focused in IT? We also found those programs that are really more focused on the, on the technology side, the DR, the data, they were even less prepared for the COVID response. I guess that's that old um, thinking that, you know, disasters are all IT centric, but that's uh-huh. not the case here. You know, COVID-19 obviously started off uh, and still is really a, a people disaster, which has then trickled on 
into other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we also noticed that obviously the sea level was very, very involved in response efforts more than more than anyone else. But there was a lot of interaction. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of interaction between you know the sea level, human resources, crisis management. Um, you know, and, and across the board, and, and the, those programs, when you look at the IT-centric program, you know, having that enterprise program where everyone across the organization knows what to do, how to react, they have a plan in place, they test it, they were definitely, um, you know, definitely more prepared for some, and, and don't, I think no one was really truly prepared because no one really expected to be told within a week, sometimes even less than a week, to get everyone working from home. So, no one was really truly prepared, but those organizations with more of an enterprise program and a higher level of maturity, were, they had the communication in place. And that was one of the things as far as a wish list where communications was, was, um, you know, was indicated several times. You mentioned the uh, greater input and uh, leadership of the sea level. Now, I, I'm sure you know, because, uh, you know, I've heard you actually speak about it at conferences, that, you know, buy-in for business continuity from sea level can be a uh, quite the struggle sometimes. A- any mm-hmm. indication from information you received as to why it's different this time around? Why all of a sudden they've, they're there and in your face when, you know, they weren't before? You know, it, it comes down to the different events, right? So I think, generally speaking, people are—we're good as a profession in preparing for some of the, the natural events, winter weather storms, the the hurricanes. Um, there's level of there's some level of predictability in what you're going to do and how to react and so forth. This, as well as data, you know, there's some level of predictability there. This was something that we've never had to go through before witness and and granted everyone spoke about it but no one really truly was prepared so the c-level uh executives i feel really had to step into those big events that are known and really kind of service the the leader in in champion the the response through this in combination with the senior leadership within human resources and and uh you know the senior crisis manager it, it was definitely definitely a team um, coordination between all the parties, but yeah, you're right. The C-level executives were more involved in this event more than any other event, and it's I, I believe it's because we've never actually been through something like this, and it, it was quite an effort to get everyone working from home, and and um, and there was a lot of mixed messages out there. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you can wear masks, you can't wear masks. You, you know, there was a lot of mixed communication where I think you know the leadership really had to step in. Yes. Most definitely, I'm. I'm. In, uh, it would be interesting to see at conferences next year um, if there are still any presentations. One that talk about uh, how to get BCM uh, leadership buy-in, you know, from your C-suite, and mm-hmm. what the role of leadership, how their role has changed in disasters now. You know, because it, it like you said, it's depending on the event. It seems as though they've gone from zero to 60, you know, in yeah. <laughs> you know, a blink of an eye. Yeah, and I know some of the open responses to the study, again, where the business continuity or crisis management professional, they would quickly brief the executive leadership on what to do, this is what we're doing, we have a plan in place, um, and then they turned it over to the executives to really carry out that effort. But they were still involved on the back end, but they weren't leading the charge, if you know what I mean. So I think it's definitely going to, like I said, every event does shape our profession, and I think this will certainly um, shape it, and it's going to continue to drive that enterprise program um, and not having it so siloed within the organization. Touching on that, was there uh, any indication from uh, respondents that uh, with regards to COVID-19, their participation level, that you know, things happened the way they expected it to, or, you know, their involvement was greater or less than what they expected? Um, Generally speaking, most of the individuals thought their engagement was right about what they expected. Um, I'm looking at the report right in front of me. It was about 53% was about what they expected. 26% were less engaged than than what they thought they would be, and then 21% were more engaged. Um, What was interesting 
was, and I wish we would have phrased this differently within the study, but, um, you know, if they were critical employees, if they were critical um, staff. So a lot of individuals, when they took the study, they misinterpreted that, that um, they were only critical if they needed to be in the office, where I wouldn't agree necessarily. I, I think, you know, being a business country professional or crisis management professional, I think you're still pretty critical, but maybe that's my two cents, but a lot of, I wish we would have turned that differently within the study because I did notice that a lot of individuals said that they weren't critical. And here we are in the midst of COVID, but they're saying they're not critical to the company because they don't need, they can do their job at their home and not in the office. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it, it it's interesting seeing that, you know, 53 response, uh, 53% said that was basically where, what happened is what they expected and some were more involved. Um, I, I heard a, a story from uh, someone who said their uh, business continuity department or a team, whatever you want to call it, suddenly became unseen, you know, when uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. actually hit um, because HR took over and leadership took oh, wow. over. So the BCM group, you know, was nowhere to be found. And that's a quote, nowhere to be found. You know, so it's uh, kind of interesting to see, like, hmm, maybe maybe that has to do because HR took over and business continuity suddenly reported to HR. And it's interesting because in all of our previous reports that we've been doing, the, the trends, there was always a very, very small percentage, you know, one, two, four percent that had the program reporting to HR. And yeah. I always thought, well, that's, that's interesting. Not a lot of people do that. And I... I but now you look at this, and now I understand it. Actually, since then, I've actually interviewed quite a few of my HR friends um, mm-hmm. that are directors of human resources. And some of them, you know, from small organizations up to very large organizations. And I, they've definitely been more involved in business country planning than I ever really anticipated or knew of. But um, there were some that admitted that were, um, you know, a part of, you know, well-known universities that they were given – uh, the responsibility of, of putting together a business continuity plan, and they just kind of, they didn't think it was critical. They really didn't understand why they had to do it. And now we have this, and it's, it's definitely going to light a lot of light bulbs and, and make people think twice about it. it. You know, it's not something you just push aside. So I think inevitably, you know, there wasn't that focus beforehand. And, and I think with human resources and executive leadership and and between crisis, crisis managers and business continuity, there's going to be a lot more streamlining of the efforts and and, and um, making sure that everyone's working collaboratively, especially when you look at the communications piece, which was definitely missing um, during COVID, in, at least initially. Yeah, I, I think the traditional sense of, you know, we'll just send out social media posts and whatever. I'm, I'm oversimplifying, of course, but um, that mm-hmm. traditional way of doing things is not going to be um, the way going forward. You know, it really yeah. is going to change. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a, a question. Um, with the plans uh, that people had, you know, crisis management, pandemic, uh, business continuity, emergency management, you know, facilities, anything, how useful were those plans uh, to a lot of your respondents? Did they actually use them? Was there any indication that they used them? Because to me, saying that they're useful, but then actually using them are two different things. Because I've been in situations where, um, you know, people didn't even look at the plan. They just, this is what we got to do based on the situation. And the binder still sat on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's that, that you know, there's that uh, hands-on learning versus just reading a, you know, reading a, a, a manual or knowing what to do. You have to practice, practice, practice to get it ingrained. So I think those mm-hmm. organizations, again, pointing to the more mature programs, they definitely felt that they're... Um, plans were definitely more useful. Um, in fact, I'm looking at one of our key insights from the report, and 81% of the organizations was very mature, you know, really striving for that maximum optimized program. They rated the usefulness of their plans at an 8 or higher, while only 11% of the organizations with the very immature programs rated the same. So, you know, it's not just, like, to your point, not just having a plan, but you need to be able to practice it and know how it works and, you know, roll out that training program across the entire organization. So everyone, not just the business continuity or crisis management professional, but everyone knows what to do 
when something happens. Now, granted, this was an event that I don't think really anyone really practiced for. You would practice for not having staff, right, mm-hmm. during a pandemic, not having staff, but no one really practiced for having all of your staff remote. So that definitely changed things. Yeah, I remember um, speaking with, um, oh, what was the gentleman's name? Um, uh, James Green? Am I saying his name mm-hmm. correctly? Yeah. James? Yeah. I, yeah um, I know you know James, so that's why I was trying to remember it. <laughs> uh, he was saying that, you know, some of these plans now, they've got to go beyond the normal, um, you know, usefulness, you know, a, a normal flood that just impacts us, uh, you know, a fire that just impacts us. You know, now, because of COVID-19, these plans and the usefulness of them have to go beyond uh, just your organization. Because look at the entire impact on supply chain around the globe. You know, when we used to just have a plan to deal with our first or second level, you know, suppliers, uh, you know, they may have been useful in that sense. But now it's completely different. Yeah, and we also took a cross-section of the data for the usefulness of the plans. We took a cross-section of the data by industry as well, and we found that those industries, financial, healthcare, insurance, telecommunication, they felt that their plans were more useful versus the other industries, especially retail, manufacturing, government. They did not rate their plans very – they did not have a high rating of the usefulness of their plans. And it's, it's, it could be a couple different things, right? But financial, healthcare, the highly regulated industries, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, those tend to be more mature, too. So it's kind of – you're kind of looking at a couple different things behind the, the data points there. But it was interesting to see that, that retail, um, that was the industry that did not tend to have pandemic plans in place before covid um, and and as well as um, I think it was manufacturing and, and transportation and logistics. Where if you think about it during during COVID, you know retail was definitely impacted, and you have logistics and and they're having to deliver things. Um, you know that was that was definitely intriguing to see that information behind the data as well. Well, it, it's interesting to hear the government didn't rank theirs very high. Because mm-hmm. aren't they, they're supposed to be rather, you know, compliant with all, you know, their own <laughs> regulations. Yeah, they are. But they, we always see that the government, you know, just looking at the history of our data, they're not, they don't always have the highest maturity um, rating for their programs either. So, yeah. um, and they take a different approach. You know, it's, it, you look at how government approaches business continuity versus the private sector, and then all the different industries in the private sector, they do admittedly take a different approach to um, uh-huh. business continuity, crisis management, emergency coop, um, you know, all the different terminologies that are out there. So I wasn't too surprised to see government. I was surprised to see, um, you know, retail and, and transportation, logistics, especially when that's the thought came to me when you mentioned supply chain. Um, you know, that was, think about the supply chain to everyone when COVID initially hit and, and looking at all the empty, you know, grocery shelves. It was, it was amazing. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Yeah, it was, it was a surprise to me going into a store and, you know, <laughs> the baking section was almost empty at one store I went in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I guess yeah. that just means there's a lot of families uh, that are, you know, enjoying some uh, nice breads and some great cakes. <laughs> and on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we are talking with Cheyenne Marling from BCM, BC Management. We'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. 
Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Cheyenne Marling from BC Management about the COVID-19 response assessment report that came out in June. Um, Lots of great information in the second segment, Cheyenne. Um, In the third segment, I'd like to ask you, you, in the report, you talk about... um, uh, after action review. Can you tell us about that, you know, and, and what that means? Yeah, so we were hoping that um, the companies, as they're responding to COVID, they're already taking lessons learned, right, and and documenting mm-hmm. what worked, what didn't work, and um, knowing what they should implement in the program moving forward. And we were surprised that 50% of the respondents have not performed any after action reviews with stakeholders. Um, 24% indicated that they've done many of them, which was good to see, but still having half of them, having having no after-action reviews was was a bit disappointing. I, I think everyone is just stretched very thin at the moment. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, well, after-action reviews, you know, that maybe it's because, uh, and this is my guess here, is with the situation, you know, it's changed, it evolves, that some of these teams are meeting two, three, four times a week that they're considering that their after-action review. I don't know. Maybe that's where that came in, why that number was so high. Yeah, it, it was interesting because when the, some of the follow-up text or follow-up um, uh, responses to that question was that they were just so incredibly busy um, in mm-hmm. responding that they, uh. they're just they're not taking the time. They're not taking the time to do it. They're hoping, yeah. they're hoping that they can once they return to work. In fact, there are several responses indicating that they hope they could do it once they return back to the office. Well, that kind of leads into the next part. Uh, if they're returning to the office, I would assume that they're going to do their after-action hour, uh, after-action reviews and lessons learned and things like that if they haven't already. But what about all the other business continuity activities that should be happening, you know, um, what did they have to say about that? Are they even doing them, or have they stopped? So we weren't surprised by this. I've heard it from a lot of my clients that they're falling behind in their reoccurring BCDR planning activities. So 52% um, did, fortunately, indicate that they are keeping up, but 35% are partially keeping up, and 14% are completely suspended. And we did see, interesting by data, by industry as well, Retail um, fell the furthest behind, where only 29% are doing their BCDR planning um, activities, followed by manufacturing at 27%. So, um, and I've heard it from my clients, too, that they are falling behind, they found gaps in the program, and, and they, need, they need help in, in keeping up. <clears throat> Interesting. Were there any uh, areas that um, they, they pointed out your know, reasons for it outside of being too busy or it's just, you know, uh, you know, any indication outside of, you know, the, what they said about being busy as to why some of these activities are yeah. stopping? There, it's quite frankly just that they're, they're stretched so thin. So one of my clients, uh, she has a staff of three, but two, two of her three people are dedicated to COVID on a full-time basis to that response. Um, and then one of the three individuals is trying to keep up with the, the BCDR planning, recurring planning activities. I've heard it from multiple clients that they're either adding to staff, either direct hire or, you know, contract temporary to try to keep them up to where they need to be by the end of the year and, and keeping up with their, um, you know, you still have the regulators coming in, right? So yeah. uh, there's that level of anxiety that they're falling behind. I actually that I was going to uh, ask you about that. Were there any indication of uh, or comments or input from regulators that you know will will they provide any leeway based on what's happening? You know, for to allow some of these uh, companies to catch up. You know, I don't know. That will be the question. That will be the question. One of my clients had a regulator come in um, about. <clears throat> A month, uh, gosh, it was about three, four weeks ago. And um, I know they did quite well, but they're also one of the programs that's a very mature program. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I I would think there's got to be some leeway. Um, but again, time will tell. 
And I think that's going to be probably a, a presentation at one uh, at a future conference. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a really interesting one. You know, uh, having worked for financial institutions, when companies have disasters, there are things banks will do, you know, to help. Mm-hmm. So if now that banks are one of these, you know, majorly impacted areas with so many people working from home, regular regulators have to be able to assist somehow as well. You can't just keep hitting everybody with a hammer, you know, saying thou shall do when you simply can't do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed so, that the one um, uh, activity that is definitely being put on pause is a lot of the, the exercises. So I did mm. see that in some of the open responses that people, um, you know, and they, they attributed, you know, responding and saying that the COVID has been their biggest exercise ever for their plan. Um, so in some respect, you know, I, I understand that it depends on, you know, uh, you know, all the different elements of the program. But I did notice that there are quite a few cases that and, um, you know, conducting some of the BIAs and gap, um, gap assessments has, has been put on hold. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Considering, um, uh, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but with your report, there's a lot of good information in here, and I think they can uh, listeners can get a copy by going to bcmmanagement.com. Uh, Correct? Yeah, bcmanagement.com, and then go to Research and Insights. And yep. under Research and Insights, there's um, it should be BCM Program um, Research. There's a couple of categories. Yep. There's Compensation and the BC Program Research, but under BC Program Research... Um, there's a button to request a report. So I urge everyone to go there and take a look at this report. There's a lot of good information and interesting information here. Now, Cheyenne, based on that, where do you see BCM going in the next um, couple of years? Because you can draw, you know, you've seen a lot. You mentioned at the very beginning, you know, 18, 19 years, you know, in this industry, seeing so many changes. Now with COVID-19, having hit everybody, where do you see things going in the future? I, I, I believe it's certainly going to continue to drive the enterprise focus of business continuity planning. Uh, I also believe that the piece of crisis management is going to continue to grow and, and um, tremendously because right now some organizations have crisis management as a small component, but it's been growing and growing over the last five years to begin with. Um, I think you're going to see a rise in um, individuals focused in responding to events because it takes a different skill set to respond to an event versus preparing for an event. Because when you prepare, when you're responding to an event, all eyes are on you, right, and and how to react and how the company should react. So I think the skill sets are going to be more clearly defined. Right now there's a lot of overlap between the two. Um, and I know a lot of individuals in the industry that they would prefer – responding to the event versus planning or vice versa. So it's a different, it's entirely, entirely different skill set. I don't think one person can really, unless you're a blue squirrel, can really enjoy doing both. So does that mean there's the potential for the business continuity industry, obviously to grow, but splinter mm-hmm. off into um, uh, more specialized areas? I think there's a specialization, but still working together. So I have a lot of clients that already have individuals that are just focused in crisis management, but they're mm-hmm. working underneath the business continuity team. But it's their it's their responsibility. And granted, those those companies that have someone dedicated to crisis management, they have a, quite a bit crises that they're constantly responding to. They have a crisis sometimes, you know, once a day, once a week. Um, so you know, you have having someone dedicated to that, they're constantly in that response mode. So it really does depend on the size of the organization and the industry that the organization is in. But I definitely agree there's going to be more crisis management openings. Um, I also think cybersecurity is, is definitely a big component because um, having everyone work from home has really opened up that cyber um, um, cyber piece as well. And, again, it's just going to continue to grow the enterprise program. I think after this, you know, having that executive buy-in or having the executives really know what to do, um, that's going to be higher on, on their list as well. Yeah, I remember uh, talking with Regina Phelps about cyber, and uh, she, she basically said cyber is what keeps executives up at night. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and with COVID nineteen, yeah. obviously that's uh, you know I- increasing that. And uh, I spoke with a gentleman, Constantine uh, Carbiliotis, the other day about privacy, and he said that's increased mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and that's now getting um, some attention from the business continuity folks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, time will tell, but I, I really do believe that crisis management is going to grow, going to continue to, to drive the enterprise component of the program and increasing executive um, um, involvement, and that their eyes are going to be on the profession. So, you know, those individuals who can really keep that it continue to, you know, grow and thrive in that in that environment and having the executives, you know, really be more involved in the program, those individuals are going to thrive professionally as well. So really, business continuity uh, is kind of we now have um, we now have that uh, buy-in, that uh, acceptance, that awareness that we've been seeking. Now we've got to do something with it. Yeah, you know, exactly. To, you know, to really exactly. move things forward. <laughs> Great. Well, we've come to the end of our show. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, for sharing your time again, I, the the insights that you get through your assessments and reports are it's sometimes just you know uh, are quite surprising and uh, you know really informative. So thanks for putting those together, you and your team, because I know it's not just you who's doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, sure, uh, not anymore. It's not just me. <laughs> yeah, um, next year's assessment, by the way. Um, is that when is that going to come out the uh, the next one? Because I know you you mentioned the the reports earlier. Yes, we have um, our business continuity trends twenty twenty that will either be released. We're, we're hoping it gets released tomorrow. Actually, um, oh, okay. so that's going to be live for six weeks. But that's and that's a great report. That's one of our more popular ones because it's yeah. looking at twelve over twelve years of data. Oh, great! Well, I'm looking forward to participating in that one. Thanks again. And we've come to the end of our show. Uh, Everybody that's out there, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.